Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review the show on iTunes and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Today I speak to Faiza Shaheen, who has been referred to as the British AOC. Faiza is the director of the Think Tank class, which stands for Center for Labor and Social Studies. She's an anti-austerity activist and academic. Last month, she ran as a Labour candidate against Tory Member of Parliament Ian Duncan Smith. She wasn't able to unseat him, but she did do uh, significant damage to his support base, which is always nice. Faiza talks to me about what happened with the British elections, the lessons learned, where the British left goes from here, what the American left can take away from this, and what's next for her. Also, I recorded a Patreon-only episode with Faiza in which she answers some really interesting questions from listeners, which they tweeted out. Plus, I asked her about Hugh Grant and Eddie Izzard, both of whom stumped for her campaign. Also, Faiza reads an op-ed that she wrote for The Guardian, where she exorciates, where she criticizes the Queen for knighting her opponent, Ian Duncan Smith, who caused so much harm and destruction and pain, not only for countless people in Britain, but for Faiza's mother in particular, through his austerity programs. So thank you so much, Faiza Shaheen, for coming onto the show. And also thank you for your service um, in the last election in England. And um, please tell us what is going on there now for you, for the country. You can start wherever you want. How are you feeling? Uh, do you feel like you're in a historic moment? Yeah, it was a pretty upsetting, crushing moment, I should say. I mean, we expected um, it to not go in Labour's favour in a big way but we were hoping at least for some kind of hung parliament and certainly didn't even want to imagine that Boris Johnson who is a known racist, sexist, homophobe and that he would win a majority and um, the fight that we were having here in Chinkford and Woodford Green which is a historically conservative seat um, in which Winston Churchill was once the MP, Norman Tebbit, who people there won't know, but he served under Thatcher, was very key to her cabinet. Um, and then Ian Duncan Smith, who, was, who I went up against, who's been the MP here for 27 years and was leader of the Conservative Party for some time um, in the early noughties. And um, yeah, I mean, it was... It was a very, very harsh election. There was a lot of misinformation and lies. Um, and I think the left didn't have a very good counter for that. And we were just hoping that people would see through it and they didn't. And yeah. um, even here where we managed to buck the national trend where there was a significant swing against Labour, um, we had a swing towards Labour and we got the highest Labour share ever in this in this constituency and, and we lost just by over a thousand votes but still it was it's been a hard week for many of us on the left and just thinking what we're going to do the kind of scale of dis disappointment not just in the way in which the electorate did vote for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives after a decade of public spending cuts and quite significant mistakes um is really what we got wrong too and and being honest with ourselves and learning from what we did and didn't do so yeah what are your um reflections on that i think it was hard for people to um go there understandably um have you had some time to reflect on it 
Yeah, so I think for us here, and we, I've had a few meetings this week, partly because, you know, we're supporting each other and giving each other le- uh, love, but we also are kind of discussing what happened. And, you know, us here, we, we're known to have run one of the best campaigns in the country. We had you know, hundreds and hundreds of people turning up to go out and canvas and talk to people. Um and we didn't have the same Brexit challenges as people had in, in other parts of the country because we're on the edge of London. It's quite There's quite a lot of people that wanted to remain in the EU that weren't upset by Labour Party's stance to have a second referendum on the EU question. So in a way, it's a kind of, it's a control as to what the other issues were apart from Brexit. Um, mm-hmm. And the big thing, the overwhelming thing is the extent to which they were able to vilify and demonize the leader, Jeremy Corbyn. And that has been going on for quite a while. But the extent to which that cut through was immense, was just just so big. And it's I I um, have been disappointed, you know, hearing this week about the lack of strategy that was there around that. Just a sense of like, hopefully he'll surge like he did in 2017. And it didn't happen. So I think one, the, you know, the main thing for me is that we didn't have a counter narrative, a strong counter narrative um, and a way to deal with the very strong, pernicious narrative and story told about Jeremy Corbyn, who is an allotment enthusiast, which means that he goes and he plants vegetables and loves to be in right. the garden who was turned into this mega hate figure seen as, yeah. I mean, all kinds of things people would say is a dangerous man and right. um, a terrorist sympathizer and right. just, you know, quite, um, quite overwhelming in just, just its scale of, of misrepresentation of, of the leader of the party. And I think so one big mistake we made is that we didn't counter that, not just in the five week snap election, but, in the last few years, after 2017, um, the right and the establishment absolutely ramped up its uh, demonization of Jeremy Corbyn. And we just haven't been doing the work on, on pushing back on that. And it just really showed, it really showed. The main thing that would come up on the doorstep was people would say, oh, I like you, or yeah, I'd vote for Labour, but what I can't vote because of the leader. So there's that one. Number two is, and this is a very difficult thing to talk about in this country, um, is racism, is the fact that in this country, we have a hierarchy of racism to the extent that people would say on the doorstep that I'm, I can't vote for Labour because of anti-Semitism and people may or may not know um, the the way in which that, that story unfolded in the UK. Although Labour, the Labour Party definitely did make some big mistakes in terms of dealing with complaints and coming out strong. Um, but then I would have people tell me to their face, to my face, that they're going to vote Conservative. Now, the Conservative Party uh, has a well-known and widespread issue with Islamophobia in particular. Right. And not just that, that they, um, under their governments, um, we've had black British people uh, deported. So the, the Windrush scandal, as we know it to be. So, no, so it's basically what happened is that there's a number of people that came as children as a lot of black Caribbean people were invited into the country post-war to help rebuild in the rebuild effort. Um, and those people who are now, you know, in their 60s and above um, were never got, um, potentially never got passports. Um, and basically they started being deported by the British government um, and, and put in deportation caps and the rest of it. And it, and it, it was horrific, horrific, um, 
scandal and um that that wasn't seen as racism and, what, and neither was Islamophobia. That was last last year, so twenty twenty eighteen. That it all came out. I mean it's been happening for a few years, but it certainly did. Um, no, 2018. So, so you know there was yeah. that there was that okay so and well let's talk about that a little bit because i think that people the the common refrain and something that i've heard a lot is well labor has had its issues with anti-semitism it needed to deal with it better but also the tories are racist and um islamophobic now my question is i mean i think that's that's very obvious i i'm just curious is it that like, I assume that if to the extent that anti-Semitism is a thing, it's not um, absent in the Labour Party. I mean, sorry, a lap, it's not absent among Tories either. Is it that they just didn't put that into the narrative? Is it that the Islamophobia and racism is so much stronger than the anti-Semitism that that's kind of what people respond to the anti-Semitism allegation against Labour with? And I mean, even during the election, there was a conservative candidate that was suspended because of denying the Holocaust. So, yeah, of course, there's anti-Semitism in the Conservative Party. I mean, Boris Johnson himself congratulated Viktor Orban, who's the Hungarian prime minister, on his on winning, even though he's a known anti-Semite and plays into all of the weird George Soros conspiracy theories. Right. Right. But what we find is whether it be Tory anti-Semitism or Tory Islamophobia or any other form of ra- any other form of racism, that it just doesn't get the media, it just doesn't get the media attention at all. And right. whereas if, um, so so let me use an example. We have a conservative councillor, so it's I don't know what the equivalent would be in the US, but it's like a local, um, local authority municipal, um, elected official, say who's a conservative and we found on his Twitter account all kinds of offensive tweets about Islam and Muslim people and and we had to cause so much fuss for it to get any attention. In the end, finally, he got suspended for one month but then he was, after one month, let back into the Conservative Party and actually is the head of the local Conservatives. Um, And during the election, it came out that when that had happened, he'd said that he was going to go to the mosque the local mosque here and apologize personally and he hadn't and it, it's been six months and when i when i put out um the statement from the mosque and tried to get some publicity even the guardian wrote back to me and said oh this isn't really a story um when literally he's core to um this constituency's conservative party and i'm a muslim right. running against them right. and yeah. that's what i mean to the extent to which Islamophobia is an accepted racism and totally. just doesn't get the just doesn't get the same attention yeah. at all, nor nor the cut through nor the cut through. So, you know, it's been pretty harsh for for communities, minority communities in this country, this whole election. And and some people might have seen that Stormzy, who's a prominent black yeah, yeah. grime artist, you know, well known around the world, um, he was asked a question on if there's still racism. In Britain and he said 100% yes and literally even today we're having you know prominent TV channels tweets um Stormzy says Britain is 100% racist which one yeah. is not the same thing and they've sort of started this 
they're race baited and so now yeah. Stormzy's getting all of this at all of these attacks um and the point about this country having a problem with racism still is just the hardest co- conversation to have right. so there's a real cognitive dissonance about people that say oh i can't vote for labor because of anti-semitism right but yet playing into a government and a scenario now whereby you know i i've had so much more racism on twitter in the last week than i've had even in the last year and i've had to block like 300 accounts or something even in just the last week and so you know there's a real concern there's a real real concern here about the way in which this hierarchy of racism is playing out in in which um we can't even have the conversation because um we can't, you know, the biggest complaint that was made in this country about TV, about TV appearances this year was Jon Snow, who's on Channel 4 News, who made a comment that there was a protest um, for Brexit. And he said, I've never seen so many white people. And he's a white person himself. And just because he said white people, that had more complaints than any other broadcaster, which is right. insane, which just goes yeah. to show, you know, the level of, I guess we would say white fragility in this country, you know, it's, right. and it's it's very, very apparent. I'm so used to that. Like, imagine if someone had said that they had said something problematic or anti-Semitic, and then they were going to go to the synagogue to to apologize, and then they didn't go. And you brought that up. No one would be like the Guardian wouldn't be like that's not a story. And we saw the Guardian refuse to run a letter by from a bunch of I guess Jewish labor people. I actually read it on Useful Idiots. I just read it out loud because I knew that they weren't going to. My podcast usually is. I knew that they weren't going to read it um, and they just hadn't published it. They had published a letter that a couple of people had signed saying how they couldn't vote for labor because of anti-Semitism. And I don't even know what that means. Like that means that all of the other policy differences between labor and um, uh, uh, Tories are eclipsed by even if that's true, like just for argument's sake, let's say that there was like a unique anti-Semitism problem among labor and not among the Tories, which isn't true. What is that problem? What are the policies? And what are they saying? Like, all of a sudden, they're just completely politically conservative, because there were some and and this maybe, maybe I I say this more um, glibly as a Jew, but uh, it's a little absurd and preposterous, because all of a sudden, your politics are different. Like if there had been a scandal where some Democrats had said something anti Semitic, I would never be like, Oh, well, now I'm Republican. I think to be fair for some in the Jewish community, because uh, all the Jewish papers were saying like you can't right. vote Labour, and for some in the Jewish community, they they were not necessarily that they were going to vote Conservative, but they felt like they couldn't vote Labour, and yeah. that was hard. And that's you know that there is trust that needs to be rebuilt there. Right. Um, but you know, it's I, I think the level of scrutiny, media media scrutiny on race and racism and religious prejudice that in itself is a whole case study of who counts right. and who doesn't count. And yeah, right. that's harsh because it also it also creates problems between our communities, which I really yeah. hate. And there's, you know, there's Jewish people that came and what like worked on my campaign and we would talk about it at length, you know, the way in which yeah. our own communities are being divided because, you know, black people are saying, well, how comes Windrush doesn't count? Or, right. you know, brown people saying, or is right. it Muslim exactly. people saying, yeah. why doesn't, and this is, this has been really hard. And, so there's been that kind of scrutiny on the race stuff that has really been apparent, but also on the policy side. So we got a situation whereby, you know, the Labour had this manifesto that was 
thought out, costed, you know, yes, it was long, but it's a blueprint for the kind of society we want to have. And, you know, I've worked as an economist on the left for a long time. So, you know, really proud of certain aspects of it. And I, you know, I do think it could have been communicated but better. But still, you know, the very first section is what we're going to do on the environment. There's lots right. on public services. Meanwhile, the Conservatives put out this wafer-thin manifesto, which talks more about potholes than it does about climate emergency. And there's just barely any discussion about that in the media, like just absolutely, completely um, swept aside to just have this intense um, scrutiny of Jeremy Corbyn um, and discuss uh, uh, and discussing anti-Semitism. So the thing is, is that that was so difficult as well, is that all... I'm happy to talk about racism in an election. I, I yeah. would love to have a, convers- a, real, a true conversation about race and racism, what needs to change. Um, but it was almost done to avoid any scrutiny on the policy side as well. And so it, we, we found ourselves in none of the policies really cutting through. And the only thing that would cut through is that, oh, they've, they're doing too much. And at, least, and at least the Tories have a more... Um, realistic manifesto which is really interesting for this particular point in history when we have these huge huge challenges whether it be inequality whether it be climate whether it be that we have an aging population in this country um and that people are like oh well we can't really deal with that you know this is the level of ambition that has happened to this country and so it's i mean there's it, it's a real tangle it's a real mess and it often feels like completely contradictory yeah. um and there's a lesson in there apart from media bias which is very very strong yeah. uh, in this country um is our own messaging because the media isn't going to suddenly become less biased yeah, exactly, especially right. as we're not in power so what do we do having to accept this horrible biased world in which we operate how are we how do we better communicate and i think i think on that certainly in this election we just um we didn't get there at all yeah i'm happy you should use me as a as a jewish ally give me all the examples of tory anti-semitism um and i'll make a listicle or video because honestly i i mean i think that it's like if we're being realistic if if people are afraid that the, the that labor and I'm not like blaming anyone for this, obviously, the, as we just said, it's a media bias thing um, and, and an establishment thing. But in just in terms of a strategic thing, I think that if, if people say labor is anti-Semitic and the response is, but the Tories are Islamophobic, even though I think it's sad that this can't be part of the discussion, just strategically, I think the way that like it, it could be dealt with is just saying, OK, well, if, if it's the anti-Semitism problem, let's look at how the Tories are anti-Semitic, okay? Right. So mm. both parties are. So now, obviously, we're not voting on, that's not the issue. That's not what distinguishes them from themselves. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I think, you know, the thing that I always, I was always careful to do was not do the what we say, the what aboutery. You know, we wouldn't be like, well, right. what about that? Yeah. You know, and I think, yeah. you know, I always was clear that we have to own it on where we've made mistakes right. on, on the complaints right, but process against but... people who i mean do do the what right they're so dishonest so i guess i just think it, it could be useful to just like correct the record and be like this whole narrative of mm. and you don't want to respond to 
it's not it's not like it's not the righteous thing to do to say to someone who's pointing out some anti-Semitism, well, they do it too. But the truth is, it's so weaponized. This discussion is so weaponized. It's so not about the anti-Semitism. And of course, so many of the times it's about being believing that Palestinians are human human beings with human rights. And that's what gets you labeled anti-Semite. But I just think maybe if it's isolated so that people see, oh, wow, this whole narrative about the about labor being particularly anti-Semitic is actually bullshit, then there'll be maybe it'll be, you know. I mean, I think one of the things that will probably happen is that as Jeremy Corbyn steps down and it's depending on who the next leader is, yeah. is that surprise, surprise, there won't be any conversation about anti-Semitism anymore. So, right. Right. you know, so yeah. no, but absolutely we need to point it out in the conservatives because it certainly does exist as it does, yeah. unfortunately in every institution and, well, right. But That's certainly, right. like, labor isn't special in that regard. Exactly, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'll find that suddenly... It's not an issue, yeah. It's not an issue. I mean, and also that people would say that it was been inspired by Jeremy Corbyn, which is just so I know. out he's, of this world and wrong. He's so not, like, hateful. Yeah. But so so tell us about your own trajectory, why you won, what, you, what made you want to run, uh, how your uh, biography influenced this, and... And what you're going to do next? Yeah, so I've um, so I've been working on sort of what you would say transformational policies for a long time. Like I did a I did a PhD looking at inequality in this country. Um, I myself am from a working class background. My dad was a car mechanic, and I I got in when I got into Oxford. I just became I went to the University of Oxford, and it was a very obviously I socially. I by the way. Sorry. I'm very tolerant. I, this is a safe space, so I won't hold that against you. Yeah, no, it was horrible. I hated it. But it was really a, an interesting class experience yeah, in that, you know, coming from where I came from and then seeing how the privilege operate. And um, so I became, you know, obsessed with inequality and, and did my PhD on it. And, you know, I was working at the organization that came up with the Green New Deal. So Anne Petter, for all of these people, were, you know, colleagues of mine from a young age and um, people I massively look up to. And um, so I've been working on sort of big left policy, what we do on inequality, on the environment for a long time. And, you know, never really thought there would be a political hook for those ideas. Um, And then in 2015, when Jeremy Corbyn came in, um, you know, shortly after joining the Labour Party and and run a think tank. So I run a left think tank and we do loads of... Yeah, class, the Centre for Labour and Social Studies and... We've been just working on some of these ideas there as well. Um, and yeah, and then I think as this seat came up um, and um, I know I and many others have a personal problem with Ian Duncan Smith, who is the man I ran against because he brought in very cruel welfare reforms that meant that disabled people, for instance, and sick people, and this happened to my mum as well, all reassessed for their um, welfare support or social security, I guess you guys call it. Um, and and some, you know, many of them found fit to work when they really weren't fit to work. And, you know, story after story of someone dying and people dying, even though they were declared fit for work, like even stories of people being at the very job centre and falling over in the queue and dying. Wow. And yeah. so this man has, a very nasty reputation for hurting um, hurting the most um, vulnerable people in society. And 
And it was all built out of this story of benefit scroungers, that people are lazy and they just don't want to work and, you know. and Welfare, like welfare queens is what what they call them here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, even though we knew it would be tough here because it's been a conservative seat forever. And I just thought, you know what, let me just try and, and take on this man. Um yeah, so then that's why, so in 20, so it was 2018, I was selected to run here. So we started the work over a year ago. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, we've learned, I mean, we've learned a lot and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, the thing that we came up against in this election, so we bucked the trend here, as I said, um, we, we saw a swing towards Labour, but it just wasn't quite enough to... Right to get rid of Ian Duncan Smith, which is pretty crushing. Um, you you have his majority, correct? Yeah, so I doubt he'll run again because he'll know now yeah. that he's so in that way. But we still have stuck with him for five years or whatever it may be. Could you, were there things that could have, um, I guess both for your, your election was different from the national one, but were there things that um, could have been done? Do you think like if, if people had, were there people who voted for, parties besides yours and besides um the Tories yeah so we had um so actually the Greens very graciously stepped down because they wanted me to win because Ian Duncan Smith keeps voting against climate action right and then uh the Liberal Democrats who really just gifted a lot of seats to the Conservatives in this election I so I I can't even, I mean, I ran against this man. One of the first things he did when he stood was send me this letter asking me my thoughts on some random Islamic organization that apparently is being investigated. I mean, why are you asking me? So this guy has clearly got some kind of issues with with Islamophobia as well. You know, and even there I reported it. It became a little bit of a news story, but they still allowed him to run. He himself, in correspondence with local constituents, said that he would rather Ian Duncan Smith because, get this, I'm clever and therefore dangerous. Wow, that's you should put that on your website. Put that on your Twitter. Yeah. Bio. Um. So, yeah. So we had we had him running, and you know, I think we were probably we just sort of thought, you know, this guy is such a mess that surely people aren't going to vote for him. Right. But unfortunately, his vote did go up enough. Basically, the, the share to which his vote went up and we didn't win by, so about six 700 votes. So it is kind of crushing. What's his name? Got to put him on notice. Jeff Seif. He's it? Jewish as well, Jeff Seif. Okay, Jeff, you're a Shonda. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on Shonda notice. That means scandal in Yiddish. But, I yeah. feel really bad that he he obviously had a misogynistic problem as well. And there I was sitting between these two candidates in Hostings. And it's, yeah, that that I have to kind of come to terms with the degree to which I had to experience um, racism through through the campaign. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, so yeah, the Lib Dems, I mean, people are pretty angry with them. I mean, they're very angry with them. Like, what was the point of view apart from to give the Tories lots of yeah, To foil out. I mean, it's funny. Like, uh, this we've seen a lot in the the U.S., which is, you know, we have people from, like, Center for American Progress, Neera Tandon, really not a fan of hers. I don't know if her name means anything over there in England, but she runs um, the largest liberal 
quote unquote liberal think tank in, in the United States. And she's a big Hil- a big Clintonite. And, you know, had Hillary won, she would have been her like chief of staff, probably. But she was tweeting about how you can't vote, um, you know, you can't vote for labor because of the anti-Semitism problem. And it's like, you guys, wasn't there a time you pretended, like, libs pretended to care about stuff and not be conservative and not, like, side with the literal conservative party of, of um, England? And, uh, but we, really, it, it is, like, for us, at least in the States, I think that the, the, the liberals siding more with conservative against conservatives against the left has, is something that's kind of new here it's, it's old, but it's like re-reared its head because when Bush was president, it wasn't an issue, right? Because libs and, and leftists, and that can sometimes be a kind of academic precious distinction, but I think it's not in, in many ways, that we were all united. And then now that like, you know, with, with the, I think with the, the Bernie Hillary thing really put that. Um... Oh yeah, that's a bit, there's a huge difference there. And that's what yeah. we're having. This is the argument we're having in the Labour Party. Again, yeah. now it's like we, you know, the ex- is exactly is exactly the same thing this sense of like well we can only win if we have a hillary clinton type centrist and but you know what hillary clinton didn't win and neither did ed Miliband, and neither did you know gordon brown so you know we where is the evidence to show that that sense of position um and actually the policies ultimately are quite popular so absolutely we need to do better at messaging and communicating um and at defending our, our political leaders on the left. Um, right. But it doesn't mean we go back to being a kind of status quo party. I mean, that's just, we've got no time for that. We've right. got no time for that. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, right, it's, it's always selective, right? Um, so when the evidence, there is no evidence that the, the status quo stuff works. There's just, um, and as you said, it, it, it's like, People, there's a reason they didn't talk about the policies and they just talked about Corbyn as an individual and the yeah. allegedly unique problem among um, labor of anti-Semitism. And that's because they couldn't actually defeat the ideas. Yeah, absolutely. But they did a very, very good job at shifting that. Um, so Boris Johnson himself is very gaff prone. Like he's yeah. not good. He's not a good performer on TV. So he avoided certain interviews. He avoids he avoids right. scrutiny. Even now, he's prime minister with a the majority. They've said they won't do certain BBC programs, um, and so you know, it's it's quite striking how they you know managed to shift the whole narrative onto Jeremy Corbyn and anti-Semitism, and avoid anyone holding the mirror up to them on their own leadership issues and their own racism issues. So. It's really, you know, if they didn't have 90% of the media on their side yeah, exactly. and, you know, even the, the political, um, the lead political correspondent for the BBC is retweeting their narrative, even though it's shown up to be lies. So, for instance, um, the Conservatives uh, had a day whereby a picture emerged of a child on the floor within the health system and, you know, it wasn't going down well for obvious reasons and... Um, somewhat, some some Labour activists had turned up outside a hospital knowing that the health secretary would be there and just shouted at him that you're ruining this country, blah, blah. Now, yeah. someone from that team then sends the BBC correspondent a message saying, oh, someone in, the, in Matthew Hancock, the health secretary's team, has just been punch, punched by a Labour activist. 
And she immediately retweets this as a proper story. Right. Now, later, the video footage emerges. And guess what? There is no punch. It's just complete fabrication of the truth. And she's already, as the lead correspondent for the BBC, right. the lead political person for the BBC has, has retweeted that. And was there ever an apology even? or? A I mean, or? there was like a slight correction, but not, I mean, there were just so many examples. There's one example where they got caught and sure they do that all the time. There was another one where she said, and my friends were at, at this event, so they were like, as absolutely categorically untrue, that there was a race and faith manifesto that the Labour Party um, launched. Um, and basically, obviously, it's all about all types of, of racism, all types of, all faiths. Um, and all of the journalists, like the same BBC correspondent that was there, um, only asking about anti-Semitism. Now, Basically, three journalists asked the same question in a row. When the third journalist asked it, apparently a couple of people in the audience like murmured. And then she tweeted that I've just asked a question on anti-Semitism and everyone's booed. Right. So no, it was, no, you know, no, no, no. The, the level of the bias was so, was so off the Richter scale. And then alongside that, we had the conservatives. And this is what happened here in this seat. And this is what I've learned, unfortunately, about trying to run a positive campaign is that we ran this positive campaign. And meanwhile, you know, people, the doors were knocking on, they're telling us that the conservatives have come by and they told them that if you vote for Labour, they're going to take your house away, which is obviously a lie. Um, that, um, uh, that they're seeing Facebook ads that are telling them certain things about Jeremy Corbyn. Turns out, of course, that 88% of the conservative ads on Facebook had been revealed to be lies and misleading and so there's no discussion about that now about right. the the scale at which people are able to lie via and and the conservatives were able to lie via facebook um so they found 88 percent of tory ads were lies and misleading and none of the labor party right. labor parties so it's like i mean it's it's uh it's pretty it's been the whole thing has really shown the sham of yeah. our democracy right now, but no one wants to, beyond those of us on the left that are like, how is this? I mean, we should have had a plan for it, but it's clearly wrong. Um, Both things can be true, right? But yeah. the natural thing to do after an election like that is to call for the end of political advertising on Facebook. But is anyone yeah. talking about that? No, right. they're just blaming Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, last question. Um, seems like your parents really shaped your your view of the world um were you thinking about them and, and you spoke about them but how much have you was your was your candidacy it seemed like it was really like honoring their their like legacy or their influence on you yeah my mom passed in 2017 so um yeah i mean a lot of because so when i decided to run here when i thought okay fine i'll put myself forward when some local people got in touch and very senior people within the labor movement and within the trade union movement were like, no, we want to put you in a safe seat if you want to run. And I was like, no, because this guy actually has caused so much harm and damage. And so in that moment when he won, it was also pretty crushing because I felt like I hadn't got that justice for my mum. But, um, you know, the extent to which my parents, both parents, even though my dad was a very difficult character, have shaped, shaped my politics and, um, and their experiences of, of this country and of public services are 
are core to kind of why I keep fighting. Um, I think they'll always, everything I do will always be a legacy to to what they taught me, especially because yeah, they're not they're not around now, and so um, it it's very personal. My politics comes from a very personal pay, place, and it comes from ultimately a lot of a lot of hardship and pain, if I'm honest. And but I think that there's a rawness in that that probably explains why we did get so many people coming to help me here, right. and it means. It's exactly what we need in politics in the sense that we need people that understand what it's like to be on the receiving end of bad policy. Too many people in our political system are are people that do it not out of experience, but kind of out of wanting to be something or having a certain amount of power. And so yeah. in a way, maybe if I can just, I was thinking about this, maybe winning in a way is not the ultimate thing, but taking the fight to people like Ian Duncan Smith, the fact that I and the campaign here would have given him some sleepless nights yeah. for someone that lives in a mansion, you know, has a, the opposite type of life to, to myself. Um, that's something because we do need to take to the, the fight to people like him and we can't be scared to take, to, to take that fight right to the very top. Right. Um, of of these political establishment of the political establishment and it will take a lot of people power and it will take a lot of us being smart but um, yeah the fight I mean what else can we do the fight continues I mean the same man stood up yesterday on Friday in parliament and said that chlorinated chicken basically is nothing to be scared of and American food standards are nothing to be scared of which you know right <laughs> you should eat it then <laughs> So, you know, we've got we've got to keep fighting and we all get our politics from different places, I guess, but there's so many injustices that are are being created and have been created and being recreated. Um, yeah. that we can't just go quiet. It's not it's not it's not an option. Can you just explain quickly, I'm sorry to ask you about this, um the your how your mom's health journey relates to, to austerity? Yes, yeah, so my mom had a genetic heart condition, but we didn't find out until sort of 2007 when she got quite sick and so 2008 odd she got very very sick and at that time we had a Labour government and we had pretty well resourced NHS and you know it wasn't perfect but certainly was much easier to get care for her and to get support and and for her to get the appointment she needed and then um the Conservatives coming in 2010 Around 2011, 2012, she's reassessed for her disability benefits. Um, she ends up retaining them, but the the whole process by which these people came to the house to assess her and the indignity of that process, the inhumanity of our state was just very clear in that interaction. And that's something that thousands of people around the country have experienced. And people have written to me or local people have spoken to me about what's happened to them because of that and then yeah in that in those 10 years that she was sick um before she died in 2017 we just saw the nhs every time we'd end up in a and e with her just become more and more chaotic and um we were really sort of 20 2016 we were really happy because she managed to get a heart transplant and she was doing pretty well and she came home and then she was experiencing some pain so we had to take her back into the back into the hospital and it was around it was sort of 
mid-December, early mid-December 2016, and it, the hospital was in chaos. It was completely um, uh, overrun, really, and hadn't had funding. So, and the NHS here has had the biggest squeeze in its history. And, and it showed, and it showed in that last Christmas, my mum had to go in and she had an infection, but the infection got worse and she wasn't transferred quickly enough and she passed away in 2017. So, yeah, you know, it's hard for us because we always think mum got sick quite young and she finally got this chance at life. And then really there's always that question mark in our heads that maybe she could have survived had, had that, had we not gone in at Christmas and had the hospital not been so underfunded. Um, And I think a lot of people have those sorts of shared experiences. And so, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing these stories and also for using your like experiences to fight for other people's parents. Yeah, no, that's the thing here now though. That's the thing that's so scary that these guys have won again and they genuinely don't care about like normal people right and so there's a picture that i tweet i not someone tweeted i put on my facebook the other day about sort of homelessness right on the on, on westminster's doorstep and it's just the sorts of comments that you hear from conservatives is essentially like it's their own fault and that that is the ideology that is winning out right now, and that is that is that is hard for us on the left. But we also need to understand why we haven't made the headway that we should have. But I hope you're like being compassionate towards yourself, yeah, and each other. Not to sound all corny and self-helpy, but it is important, you know, because you're working, you're doing things that impact so many the lives of so many people, and uh, you have to be able to. You can't be, you know, miserable and burnt out and beating up on yourself. I'm not just saying this to you. I'm just saying in general, right? Like, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. If they can, if they can get us to be depressed, then they really yeah, have exactly. won. They really have won. So yeah, right. we need to rest up because we worked so hard. And you know, I yeah. personally worked really hard in the last six weeks, obviously because I was running, um, and we t- achieved so much. Because if you look at everyone around us, everyone went in the exact opposite direction, and yeah. we. We saw an increase in turnout and an increase in the labor share, which is like we're one right. of six places in the country that got that for a, right. for a Tory seat. So we did amazingly, amazingly well. But um, and it shifts the narrative, right? Your results, like it's it doesn't it, it goes against the thesis that people are trying to create out of this. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make. That like basically they're saying the left can't win, and yet here I was actively, you know, left and 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 bold and not throwing Jeremy Corbyn under the bus and and against one of the most formidable conservatives in the country and well-known conservatives um in a seat that literally used to be Churchill's seat um and we managed to shift the dial the other way so yeah the idea that like Corbynism or whatever you want to call it just doesn't work um yeah has didn't didn't play out here which is important, so got to share that story. Yeah, yeah, that's no, true. Yeah. It's gonna get cut. It, it gets completely covered with all of the other stuff, though. But... Right. Well, uh, and of course, you got a uh, Hugh Grant. And, oh uh, yeah. And oh my yeah. gosh, that was crazy when Hugh Grant came. People are still talking about that. Yeah, Nothing ever happened here, and then Hugh Grant came, and we were like, "What?" 
That's so funny. Is he nice, Hugh Grant? He seems like he's exactly like the characters in his movies. He really is, yeah. And it was like one bit was hilarious where some woman was like trying to heckle him and said, why should we trust you or something? And he said, and he said in his usual like posh British way, like, oh, yes, that's a good question, madam. You know, (laughs) I wouldn't try. And then she just started cooing, like her whole face changed. It was hilarious. Yeah. He's a very charming man. He's basically a lot like he is in the movies. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. a bit more, t- just a bit toned down. Right. That, right. Yeah. And, yeah. And also Stormzy retweeted my campaign video. So I have oh, some, great. I have some highlights. Wow. Yeah. Stormzy should come on. I should get Stormzy and, and Hugh Grant. You should come over. You're, you're it's a big um, entourage. You, Stormzy, Hugh Grant, Eddie Izzard. Get Jeremy in too. Yeah. Oh, Jeremy. He seems like such a mensch. Uncle Jez. He needs a yeah. little rest, man. It's... Yeah. It's been horrific for him. I can't even. Do you think he could? I mean, do you think he could? It, he just has to step down. Like even if you. Yeah, he couldn't now. I mean, also like people, there were mistakes made on the left yeah. in in his office, and it was yeah. a real lack of strategizing. I think they did make mistakes. So I think they all need to step down, like his office, really. <sighs> yeah, but I don't know what's going to come there. I find it easier just to think about what we can do here and what we can do in that class because I just it's like the Democrats you know it's just like oh there's just so many awful people right <laughs> to the gulag to the guillotine well it's been so good to speak to you Katie yeah you too yeah, thank, thank you, thank you so, so much yeah and I would, I would love, love to, to have you back, back on, on and um are you, are you coming, coming to New, New York, York at all any plans to do that or do you know actually I was I am thinking that I might come in next year I haven't been anywhere for so long because we've been so yeah. like intensely focused here um but yeah I'll definitely let you know I think it's really important for the UK and US left to kind of yeah, me learn too, from yeah. each other and think about how we I know some of this already happens of course but um yeah a conference would be good like but like a fun conference honestly like because people just need to have some joy or yeah i mean we're all just so like we're just really hoping that bernie gets through because that would give us something it's just it's just like i just yeah they call him amo bernie here do you is that uh have you heard of that i guess you guys call him uncle jeremy right and we call um, him uncle jez my husband and i yeah so yeah it's it's actually amazing to see how much the muslim community in the united states I mean, I mean, which, which is, is more, obviously, obviously that's, that's like, it's, it's not, not a monolith, monolith but, but how, how much there is this support of, San, of Sanders, Sanders from, um, there's like a very enthusiastic Muslim American um, base for Sanders. Sanders. And they call him Amo Sanders. Mm. And um, it's like, it's really amazing. And it's amazing to see him be better on Israel than like any other. Yeah, that's what happened with like Jez as well, like Uncle Jez. He's right. massively, massively supported yeah. by the Muslim community, which, but yeah. in a way, they use that against him. Of course, like, right? And they're going to do that with, with, with Bernie too. The one protection he has is that he gets to be called like he's a, I guess, self-loathing Jew as opposed to an anti-Semite. That's the narrative, or he's, you know, that the, the haters will say that about. It gives Sanders one more level of protection. It's not, it's not meaningful though. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's Jewish. It barely matters. It gives him like one level of protection from the smears. I just find it crazy because people were circulating the article about um, someone had written that says like Bernie Sanders' campaign is, has an anti-Semitism problem and we were like, yeah. oh my gosh, don't, yeah. not all over again. Yeah, I have to do something about it. I did, I, I want a video where where people who are, Jew, like I don't, 
it's hard because I feel like I have to fall into the like identity politics are really important. Obviously, I'm not like the, the problem is the weaponization of them, right? Like the sinister co-opting of them. But and sometimes as a Jew, I'm like, can we just not center these narratives? But we have to because like that is a powerful trope. And so I do think that Jews have to come forward and be like, this is why Sanders is not only not an anti-Semite, but this is why his positions are, you know, good for Jews. Even though I part, I'm like very annoyed that by that. I'm kind of like, guys, can we not make this just about Jews? And I say that again as a Jew. I don't think I'd feel as comfortable saying that as a non-Jew. Uh, yeah. Although I wouldn't judge people for saying that. But um, yeah, I think it's actually an important moment. It gives like Jews, progressive Jews, an important moment to get to redefine like a certain Jewish history and Jewish... Of, of like leftism that a lot of people kind of know about or don't really know about or so there's so i guess it's because of the world i'm operating but there's so many jewish lefties like so many yeah there are yeah and so and then people don't really get how you're jewish if you're not religious which is interesting although i feel like in england they get it more because it's quite a non-religious country in a way yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. anyway but yeah, let me know and you can... I think I'm going to write for a bit. I've got so many thoughts. I kind of just yeah. need to like, maybe over Christmas, I'll just try and write. Yeah, it's been like, it's been like something that's been on the back burner for a while, but now I've got a bit of time to be good to like reflect Yeah. as well. It's been so nuts. And really like, yeah, people are really upset here, but also like already coming together to think about how we can like regroup and resist really. In a way that doesn't actually help the right no but a lot of the dems are doing here oh gosh yeah it just feels like everything helps them though you know but then yeah. um anyway well thank you so much yeah okay all right cheers Kate. thanks so much bye 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 thanks again so much for listening to the katie helper show don't forget to listen to our patreon only episode by going to patreon.com slash the katie helper show again that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show the Katie Halper Show is edited by Ted Reedy. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. 